Welcome to iPad Pros, the show all about using your iPad to be productive and get work done. I'm Tim Chen, host of the show. What's cool about shortcuts is I can imagine like a future where it has the whole range. You start out just like automating your day. Two hours later, your mom is like plugging into web APIs. It's not simple enough now for sure. And I can see like that I could do it and I wasn't a programmer, but now I kind of am, which is fun. Welcome back to iPad Pros for one final time in 2018. I want to thank everyone for your support this year. It's been amazing seeing the emails come in, the reviews on Apple Podcasts, and the support over on patreon.com slash iPadPros. Every bit of it goes a long way in helping the podcast grow, and I really do appreciate it. I recently had the privilege of interviewing Matthew Casanelli, who worked for the Workflows team, which, as you know, is now Apple's Shortcuts app. My goal with this interview was to have Matthew explain some of the bigger and harder to understand concepts about the Shortcuts app, and hopefully his explanations can open up the potential of the app to you. Shortcuts is an essential tool for getting work done on the iPad. I'd highly recommend taking some time and evaluating the work you do to see how the Shortcuts app can help you be more efficient. I learned quite a bit myself hearing from him and hope you do as well. I'd encourage you to re-listen to parts of this episode that do dive deep into the Shortcuts app. There are MP3 chapter markers for those that need it. By the end of this episode, you should understand the power of the Shortcuts content graph, how dictionaries, menus, and lists work, what magic variables are, and how to chain together multiple shortcuts by creating what Matthew calls function shortcuts. And as you may have noticed by the title, this is just part one of my interview. And part two will be released as the first episode of 2019. Matthew is the co-host of the podcast Supercomputer, and you should be able to find his videos on YouTube just by searching for shortcuts. As mentioned at the beginning of this intro, you can support the podcast by leaving a review on Apple Podcasts or by heading over to patreon.com slash iPadPros to financially support the show. Without further delay, here's the first part of my interview with Matthew Casanelli. Matthew Casanelli, welcome to iPad Pros. Hello, thank you for having me. So first off, can you just introduce yourself and your relationship to the old workflows and now Shortcuts app? Sure. I had probably the most fortunate timing I've ever had in my life by joining Workflow about six to nine months before we got acquired by Apple. I used to work in marketing and on my own just kind of got into URL schemes on iOS and all of the automation fun stuff that started this whole crazy ride. I did it kind of in my own time. And then when I needed to find a new job, I saw that Workflow was based in San Francisco and I lived in Berkeley just across the bay from there and applied to help them figure out how to tell people how the app works because this is very cool and I want to help bring it to the average person. And then we got acquired by Apple. I decided to keep doing the same thing on my own because I knew that Workflow was still being supported by Apple. Like they were showing through the updates that it was available. I wanted people to learn it. And then it was also very awesome to see them turn it into shortcuts. That's when I kind of was like, okay, I'm going to kick this into full gear. Before you actually started working for Apple, what kind of usage did you have of Workflows? Did you use it at your old day job or was it more for personal projects? I think it was more personal at the time. I was doing data analytics for an advertising agency, mostly like Twitter and social media strategy kind of work. And so at the time, there wasn't the type of capabilities to be able to like work with the data that way. I used SQL. It's a query language to access databases. I would set up charts and dashboards that were like automated on the back end. I was into the realm of like 
doing more with the information that you had and making it happen for me instead of doing it myself, there's still not the same capabilities right now in shortcuts that I could do something like that. I definitely did feature requests for charting capabilities and stuff like that. You do have some technical knowledge to be able to work with APIs and do things like that? Slightly. I wouldn't say I'm technical at all. That stuff really helped me figure out some of the logical process thinking that you kind of go through where you have to get one piece of data and then do something with it like step by step, but I don't know how to code or anything like that. I also was fairly brand new to it. I'm not like a data analyst, data scientist person. It was mostly like going one or two steps beyond Excel spreadsheets. I'd say just like that type of thinking helped me once I started doing shortcuts and workflows because it's a very logical, like straightforward process. And that's where shortcuts really excels. I'm not a developer, but I have probably similar logic knowledge to be able to think things out like that. It's not nearly as complex as like a full application would end up being. For me, it opened up a whole world that I previously found inaccessible, where it was like, that's for people who know how to code. I still don't know how to code, but I can interact with APIs using something like shortcuts or do a bunch of what is essentially programming, but I'm not coding anything, which is actually pretty nice. So your goal with the YouTube channel, you've started, it's education, right? You're trying to teach people how to use this in different use cases of it. Yeah, it's weird because I'm somewhat in the tech slash education. I want to do more than just shortcuts in the long run. There is more to talk about than that. I think it'll all branch off from that kind of central point. There's a lot about using your devices and can go along with the type of thinking that you use shortcuts with. When do you determine a task should be tried in shortcuts versus doing it the old way? I saw a good quote from somebody, I think this is applied to programming, where it's, if you do something three times, like turn it into a function. And I was kind of personally trying to rebrand that as like, if you do something three times, turn it into a shortcut. And then for people who are into shortcuts, if you use like the same set of actions three times in different shortcuts turn it into a function where you use run shortcut within your shortcut. Yeah, for example, for one of the shortcuts I built out to thank a podcast guest for my day job, it queries like the RSS feed to actually grab their name and some other information. And I have that within another shortcut that's, that's kind of like a larger thing. Yeah, that's smart. I've even just been using a simple title casing one. I use it in the widget to just kind of take any text that I have and turn it into proper title case by it lowercases at first to force it all and then back into title case. And that's a great like standalone shortcut, but also a function shortcut that you can use in other ones. Yeah. I mean, dealing with text is just great because URLs, they're all, it's all lowercase. So you can just make a capital and there's stuff within Safari you can do where with the share sheet, I can have a standard message I'm going to send out and it'll query like the page title for like LinkedIn and I can just select from a list that the person's name and it put, pops it in there. You're building out shortcuts almost as like an evangelist of the shortcuts as a technology. Like with Gruber, you've built out some just showing him you don't need the services and you can do it right here instead. Yeah, he was talking about using like a Mac script to take a tweet and then grab the body of it and then format it as Markdown and then add the title and link. And I was like, oh, I could build a shortcut out of that. I actually had like an old way that used their API that ended up breaking. 
And then in the process, figured out a new way by like faking the embed page and then grabbing the HTML from there. I've actually repurposed that shortcut like four times now into stuff that I save for my blog posts and then also saving good quotes in day one with Twitter photos. A lot of times I find some image on Twitter that has useful information and images are kind of a pain to work with in any sort of like task manager and stuff like that. So I've kind of just recently realized that day one's a good spot for that. Interesting. Yeah. Photos is a constant struggle for me on iOS, just making sure I clear out my photo library because I don't have a better place for some of that to live as a temporary kind of placeholder. Yeah. That's something that is on my to-do list because I have screenshot after screenshot of shortcuts stuff and it's just a giant mess in there. I usually like my actual good photos so that i have the library in there kind of yeah i would love if apple had an official save photo to like scratch library Uh, different like libraries i guess you could choose to save stuff to when you're in safari that'd be nice as you go through the shortcuts app and you're trying to explain how to use this what do you find is one of the more complex and hard things to teach other people some of that logical thinking is like the hardest for people who aren't programmers i'm not a programmer also but regular people non-nerds or even honestly like if you're like a technology fan versus actually embedded in using it like i said with learning sql or something like that helped me prepare for working one step at a time and the logical flow of stuff starts at the top of the shortcut and then once that's done acting on it it moves down to the next step and then setting it aside with variables is pretty confusing i'd say and then shortcuts has its own abstraction on top of variables where it can hold all of the details of the content as magic variables that i'm struggling communicating i think it's all important to learn it's so much all at once that i was just like talking with someone the other day and they were like wait you lost me at the very first part yeah the magic variables to me is still a concept that i don't fully i know there's power there but i don't fully understand how to grasp it do you want me to try right now yeah you're able to. Sure. I got a slightly better metaphor. Do you know anything about the content graph in shortcuts? I've only pulled up the content graph as like, wow, that's a lot of stuff it shows me about that, but I'm not quite yeah. sure what to do with it. It seems like almost like a debugger thing to kind of like show you the possibilities of Yeah, sort of. I'll get to it in this explanation, but basically shortcuts and workflow have always functioned off of a technology called the content graph, which is where they mapped the ability for the app to understand like when it accepts a piece of content, all of the different ways that content can be converted into something else. And so when you have something like a photo from the photos library, that can be like an image, a live photo text that's like the title of the image. It can be a location, like where the photo was taken, plus the location could be like geo coordinates. Shortcuts has the ability to look at photo media and understand that it can be turned into those 10 different things. And so magic variables basically enables shortcuts whenever an action produces content as output it stores all of that rich information associated with that content type. Later, you can go in and extract that photo media and then just get the address and just get the latitude all without manually going step by step and saying, get this photo, get the address, get location, get 
geolocation. It all happens just from that variable instead. Basically, if you do something like get latest photo and then view content graph, you can tap on the photo and then it shows you this spider web kind of mind map looking thing of photo media in the center and then these little branching nodes off of it where you can see the text type or the photo type or the live photo type. It gets really complicated, but it basically means that when you're running a shortcut, every time you create content, it's all automatically stored as this useful bucket of information that you can then go back to and retrieve from later instead of just pulling things out of the bucket. The bucket is stored automatically the whole way along. I'm going to be doing a video on it soon. And I can also share the link to the documentation on it because that helps a little bit more. Yeah, I'll definitely link to videos. I'm pulling up a content graph of a photo right now. And it's just fascinating. I didn't actually realize you can tap into these different circles within here. So like photo media, it'll show me all the different outputs it can do. Showing me like a TGA image and like the, all these Windows formats. And What's kind of fascinating is it exposes even like the strings that the iOS APIs use to understand that information. So it kind of gets down to the very level of how this program even understands what a photo is. The content graph itself is essentially the magic that makes workflow and shortcuts always work. It's definitely one of the reasons that shortcuts is uniquely iOS also, because it's built using those APIs in the structured ways that all of iOS is able to work, but it ties it all together very nicely too. It's one of the reasons Workflow was always an amazing level beyond so many other apps. Most apps specialize in a few of those APIs, and this essentially hooked them all together. Once you were able to build those and connect them together, it essentially means what would take a lot of logic in a program, where you have to go literal step-by-step step and get all this information. When you're building it with shortcuts, it can take almost like only three steps, and I could extract like 15 pieces of information just by doing it visually as a variable. As I'm digging into this content graph, I didn't realize, so it showed me all the support types of images. But if you click into any of those, I'm not sure how this works. There's no conversion happening. It doesn't appear, but they're all just here where there's an Adobe Photoshop document of this image. And if I hit save the files, it'll save it as a .psd. It'll do that with an Apple image icon. Do you know how that works? I'm not sure specifically with that action, whether it's generating those as you tap in layer by layer. Basically, iOS can just do that. It has those APIs set up to convert from one file to the other. And by kind of just like pre-programming it all into the content graph, it can just do those on the fly and have it ready for you. If you have something that's like find calendar events, and then the next one says get longitude, it will look for the calendar event, look at the location, and then extract the address and, and the information instead of just breaking and being like, there's no data coming from there that works. It can kind of just like follow the line through like the shortest point towards where you want to go and just make that connection automatically. I think that's one thing that's lost on so many people. I might go into rant mode slightly, but when I hear on ATP, it's fair that you learning the command line applies across different programming systems. But in some ways, shortcuts is so powerful that I do see it as almost like the next command line. When there's a billion people with phones, this is open to all of them instead of people who have traditional computers. Yeah, that conversation ATP kind of bothered me a little bit. <laughs> it's totally fair. It's fair. They're all programmers, though. What I want to see is the same conversation in 10 years where they're like, well, well everybody Everybody should learn the shortcuts because it applies across all of Apple's products. There's different reasons for what makes sense is because Apple products are expensive and that's not accessible to everyone in the world. But 
right at the same time like if you're still going for scale working on ios it's already there yeah it's reached more scale than almost anything else i'm excited to hopefully be at the forefront of that (laughs) so one final thing on the content graph (laughs) sure the content graph you're not able to pass anything from the content graph to another action it's mainly to see what other actions could be done upon that original file you're working with? You're able to choose like the specific type of content. So that's all of the get details of actions are basically all of those little nodes that you see in a content graph item. Like when you get a piece of music and then you say get details of and tap on the list, you can see the title and the album art and artist and stuff like that that's all different metadata that you can pull out you can either use get details of to have it happen like in the action flow Mm -hmm. or when you're in a text field and you're placing the variable for like that music or photo you tap on that variable again and then you can change the different types of details that you're extracting directly from there that's why magic variables is so good you can do this logically in shortcuts where you could do like get current song get details of title, set variable to save it as title, and then get the variable of the original song, get the album art to save it as album art. What you could have done in the workflow days in like 50 actions, you can do in workflow magic variables and now shortcuts in like two instead. And just with a bunch of variables where you change the details in the variable itself. Even when you're in there tapping on that variable, you can actually change the content type, which goes back to that content graph, and you can force it to be something else. You can run into weird errors there, like you can't turn music into an App Store app, but you can do a lot of powerful stuff there where if it's choosing the wrong thing for you, like you think this is a photo and you want to change it to an address, you can tap on photo media as photo media, which is confusing. But then when you tap that and change it, it could be photo media as address, and then you can go in and extract like the street name from there. Yeah, that's really cool. So one of the concepts in shortcuts is the concept of list, dictionaries, and menus. What are those, and when do you use which of those? Sure. I had this problem a lot, even when I worked at Workflow, of understanding the difference between making a list and then choosing from the list versus choosing from menu when you are in both ways. You're essentially picking from options and then something happens afterwards. List and choose from list. First of all, just by being two separate actions, they can serve different purposes. But when you do like a list of items and then you choose from that list, whatever you choose just gets passed as like you choose one single thing and then that gets passed into the next action directly and you continue on from there. Whereas choose from menu creates multiple different paths that you go down. And then depending on which one you've chosen, you have different actions occur from there. There's kind of two levels to that where choose from menu lets you go down different paths, whereas choose from list lets you like choose how you're going to go down the same path. Whatever you choose from the list is what you use to act on in the next step, whereas what you choose from menu is just like the direction that you're going and you're not actually like using those menu options in the next step. So I do see a lot of people who want to choose from list, but they actually choose from menu and then put the menu options as text and then set it as a variable and then use that. They're kind of confusing the purpose of the two of those. What's a good use of the menus? One way that I use it is to essentially make a multiple purpose shortcut. Instead of four different shortcuts, I put them all underneath a choose from menu option. And then I just say like, 
do you want to do A, B, C, or D? And then it executes those. So in some ways, it helps me reduce the number of shortcuts that I use. Mm -hmm. But it could also be when you just want like different behavior to happen. Say if I want to put a blog post out for my podcast or YouTube, they would have different processes for those. But I still am trying to publish an article is like the point of the shortcut. So I would choose from a menu and then choose different actions to like get the data appropriately for the different ways that I use them. That almost might not be a great example, though, because technically both work with RSS feeds. And so in theory, I could actually use choose from list and say, do I want to do YouTube or podcast? And then it just puts in the URL. That's not a great example, but that does lead me into dictionaries because a dictionary in general is a concept in web API programming that is a little complicated for our purposes in terms of like lists and choose from lists you can actually use a dictionary to kind of set up a rich choose from list where almost what people want from choose from menu, where you choose a title and then something different happens depending on what you've chosen. You can set up a dictionary with like five different text items where like your title is the menu option that you want to choose from. And then the value for that item is the information that you want to get passed along to the next step. The way that I use it is for Twitter list IDs in Tweetbot. I have a bunch of Twitter lists that I want to open up and I have a dictionary that has the name of the Twitter list and then the list ID that Twitter uses to identify which list that is. And that's how Tweetbot actually opens into those lists. When I pass a dictionary into choose from list, I can see the list titles and I tap one of those and then it passes along the value for that key into the URL for Tweetbot. To give a quick summary, a dictionary allows you to structure text in a dynamic way while it's still just being a text file instead of having complicated custom formats. JSON is a universal JavaScript object notation markup language, and it lets you basically name data and then group data in different ways and then pass it as just like text blobs instead of more complicated stuff. When you're building a dictionary in shortcuts, you're really building key value pairs that you can say, hey, go get this key and it will extract the value underneath that. It gets really complicated, but you can put a ton of information just in one little dictionary and pass it along. That's like how web programs like Twitter even work. Every tweet is a little JSON package of data. And then your Twitter app goes through, looks at the keys for the tweet name and tweet body and puts that all into place in the app for you. It's an incredibly powerful tool that you can use with shortcuts. And it goes all the way from just make like a list of data to that's actually an array in JSON. And you can get this whole fanciness all built into like, I can make database requests using my AirPods now because of Siri shortcuts, which is amazing. And I didn't know any of this before I even worked at Workflow. So it's a whole breadth of automating their morning routine. And I'm like trying to log data into the air and stuff like that that <laughs> yeah i kind of wonder if the swift playgrounds team would ever work with shortcuts to create something next level that's programming friendly shortcuts or something yeah that'd be cool if you could build shortcuts actions in swift playgrounds something like that yeah little building blocks that you can send over the shortcuts almost just to clarify i did technically work at Apple for a bit, and I am not suggesting that that's a thing. But I have many opinions about what I would want. I have no idea what they're going to do. Yeah. Is there a shortcut that you're most proud of figuring out how to actually create? The first one that came to mind was that SpongeBob one. 
it's not actually like challenging, but I got the feature added. There's like a meme where you can take somebody's text that they send you and then reply with every other character being uppercase or lowercase where you're essentially like mocking them in a rude tone of voice and this is my (laughs) immaturity showing through i was like oh i could totally do that with shortcuts because i can split text and then i went in there and it didn't work and and i was like wait you can't split by every character and then i actually had them build the feature into shortcuts so that you could split by every character just so that I could get that to work. I think actually Ari helped me with the logic because it uses like a mathematics term called modulo. I don't remember exactly. It's one of those things where like people know it, but they don't know the name for it at all. And it's weird to explain. It uses fancy math to do just like a dumb internet meme. And so that one I've always been pretty proud of. One that I just made for myself, I used that tweet deets shortcut and repurposed it. I sent out a tweet that I said, hey, send me your home screen. And 250 people replied. I was instantly like, oh my God, how am I going to answer all of these? Already, I've just been getting a lot of tweets compared to last year. And it's hard for me to like keep up. It's not like a queue of things that you're replying to. It just keeps going. I was like, I need to capture this information. And I built a shortcut that I used with drag and drop on the iPad where I had Twitter in split view in like a small column on the right and then shortcuts on the left and I would drag the tweet into shortcuts and it would extract the data and then make an API call to Airtable and store all of that information for me so that I can then turn around and go through the Airtable database and actually keep track of the shortcuts that I'm sending people and like the apps that I'm sending them for them and also just like whether or not I helped the person. I'm not actually even done yet because there's so many. I will get to it eventually if you're listening and I haven't. We talked about briefly about chaining together shortcuts to build out more complex shortcuts or easier to mm-hmm. build out shortcuts using these little functions, I believe you call them. So what's the process for passing information from one shortcut to another? When you use the run shortcut action, you can basically call another shortcut in the process of your current one. When you do that, the data that's passed into that action gets used into the first step of the inner shortcut. And so it's almost like the way the action extension works, where data passes in from like the literal top and into the first step. The same thing happens when you pass data into a run shortcut action. You can use the either like have an action at the beginning that captures that information, or you can also use the shortcut input variable that is kind of like one of those omnipresent variables next to clipboard and current date. In that inner function shortcut, you can use that variable or like the first step to start working on the data. And then at the very last step, whatever is at the end gets passed out of the run shortcut action into the larger shortcut that you're using. A lot of times my function shortcuts look weird because they don't extract their own data. They just kind of start acting on data. Yeah. Like a lot of times I do use that variable. And so sometimes it's like not even attached to the start of the shortcut. And so it can be a little weird looking. It's a little hard to just like mentally organize what's a function shortcut versus what's an actual shortcut that I want to use. I'm generally just using dark gray as the color right now because it's kind of like, don't open this. It's just a utility. I had my shortcuts completely organized and then iCloud Sync changed the order of all of them. I'm pretty sure the bug is fixed now. So what I did was I color code all of my shortcuts and 
for a long time, I actually didn't do this. And then once I did, I was like, oh my God, that does get you very far compared to not color coding them. Because once you have like a visual group, like I can go through and find a shortcut visually in my library, whereas before Mm -hmm. I couldn't. And I like didn't know the tools that I had available to build content off of because I would just had like a thousand different colored shortcuts all in, in a row. And so it's like mentally just parsing that. And you'll group the same colors together. So you'll be able to scroll faster and just jump to the orange section or the blue. All of my photo shortcuts are pink. All of my entertainment ones are light purple. All of my work ones are dark purple right now mm-hmm. and I reuse colors and just generally don't keep them right next to each other is my strategy <laughs> there. And it's kind of a pain to like keep them organized. That's partially why I'm not done is because what I did was once I had all of those colored and I could tell it was messing up the order again, I did get my shortcuts and then saved to files and saved all of them as dot shortcut files in a folder and in the files app in like iCloud Drive. And then I went through iCloud Drive and used the folders there because shortcuts doesn't have folders. And so I was like, screw this, I'm doing it myself and created like 15 different folders by categories. I basically removed them all. And then I've been going back through category by category and evaluating the shortcuts and deciding whether I want to keep them being very brutal and cutting a bunch. Do you have any tips or tricks for working with files in conjunction with shortcuts? I know that you have to pretty much work within the shortcuts folder with an iCloud drive. Is that right? Yeah. I put a bunch of my documents into that folder. Shortcuts is now my documents and I just like keep a lot of information there. The other thing you can do is use Dropbox and then you have full file access there. So that's also a good solution for a lot of people because a lot of people use Dropbox already and you can kind of keep files that you want to work with in shortcuts up there and then it's also accessible from the web and stuff like that. Thanks to Matthew Castanelli for his time. You can find what he's up to at MatthewCastanelli.com and by listening to the awesome podcast, Supercomputer. I hope everyone had a wonderful 2018. I'm looking forward to a fantastic 2019 with some awesome guests already lined up. As mentioned at the top of the episode, you can support the podcast by going to Patreon.com slash iPadPros. It'd also mean the world to me if you'd leave a review on Apple Podcasts. Reviews go a long way in telling Apple to show this podcast higher in search. You can email me, iPadProsPodcast at gmail.com. I'm also on Twitter at iPadProsPodcast. Have a wonderful New Year's. Thanks for listening. And stay tuned in 2019 for part two of this interview.